Formula One back after a few weeks off of the summer break. It is now time for the stretch run towards the end of the season. Nine more races to go, and the second half starts this weekend at Spa. It's the Belgian Grand Prix, and we've got it for you here on the Overtake F1 podcast. Spa, one of the most iconic tracks on the F1 calendar, and Max Verstappen currently running away with this championship. Ferrari better be careful because Mercedes is starting to find their groove. We're going to go over the five things to watch for this weekend in Belgium. We'll discuss the track details for Sunday's Grand Prix, our top five and bottom five from Hungary. And with the big news that Danny Ricardo is indeed going to be leaving McLaren at the end of this season, we'll take a look at some of the driver movement, rumors, stories that had hit the headlines during the break. But first, it's the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for joining us. Glad you found us if you're new to this podcast. And if you've been listening for a while, thanks for continuing to do so. If you like what we do, do not forget to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. It really helps us grow this podcast. And we, of course, always appreciate the support. All right, Spa is one of my favorite circuits. I love the elevation changes, the setting, the length of the track. Over the years, though, concern has kind of made the rounds about changing the run up the hill at En Rouge and Radion. And I do understand with current speed that it is dangerous. Remember, we lost Antoine Hubert at Spa a couple of years ago during an F2 race. I do think the concerns are real and they will be addressed at some point where they will make some changes. However, it hasn't changed my my opinion that Spa is one of the best circuits on the F1 calendar. All right, so here are things to watch out for this weekend as we go back to racing on the Formula One season. First things first, weather. All right, you knew I had to drop this one in, right? Let's get this over with. Last year, a terrible situation for fans who attended the race. Rain all day. Sunday made the Grand Prix unmanageable. So instead of seeing an actual race, we got a podium that was made up by the qualifying run on Saturday. It was one that had George Russell on that podium after his stellar qualifying lap that put his Williams P2 on the grid behind Max Verstappen. The race was the shortest F1 Grand Prix in the sport's history. Lasting after just two laps behind the safety car. Despite the lack of green flag racing, half points were awarded to the top 10. And that didn't sit well with many commentators, including myself. Nevertheless, it was not a good look. Changes were made after that weekend to ensure that races must have at least a green flag running to be classified as a race. So... Does weather in the forecast for this weekend have any sort of impact? Well, it always is when it comes to spa. So keep your eye out on the weather. Keep your eye out on the rain. Hopefully we don't get the same thing we got in 2021, but weather seems to play a factor at spa various times in the schedule, especially this time of year. And again, I don't want to repeat of last season because that really was a mess. But the number two thing to watch for as we get to the actual race and the racing teams, Ferrari second act. No team received or deserved the flaming arrows of criticism like Ferrari. They started the season red hot. Charles Leclerc won two of the first three races, finishing second in the other one. Even when Max and Red Bull started to figure some things out, they were still staying in the world championship fight. But then things started to go bad. Leclerc suffered mechanical failures at Barcelona and Baku. They double stacked and had terrible strategy in Monaco, costing Leclerc a win in his hometown race. Leclerc spun out at France, signs catching fire in Austria. They put on wrong tires at Hungary. It was a mess. And the worst part was when everybody thought Ferrari would do something to screw up, they did. It was, it was the most predictable thing in all of Formula One in the first half of the season. Ferrari's going to screw this up somehow than they would. We had a few weeks off for the team to figure out what went wrong when things did. 
Did they have to make a personnel change in the strategy department? We know Leclerc was frustrated with the team, and the world championship's hopes for him are now over. He's 80 points back of Verstappen. Max could skip three full races and still have the championship lead. This thing is going to be over way before Abu Dhabi, but he also has to watch for Sergio Perez because Perez is five points back of him for second in the Drivers' World Championship. Now, as for the Constructors' Championship, they are ahead of Mercedes by just 30 points. So Ferrari better be careful because the silver arrows are coming. Will Ferrari have a strong second half to secure P2 in both the drivers and the constructors title? That is what they're shooting for in the final nine races of the season. Red Bull may be running away with this, but there's still a lot to play for here for Ferrari. They do not want a season in which they let a second half collapse and all of the problems in the first half of the season allow Mercedes that struggled in the beginning, but started to find some groove and rhythm to catch them in both the drivers and the constructors. Ferrari's second act, and it starts this weekend at Spa. Let's see if they do have their act together. All right, the third thing to watch for is track limits. Um, the new cars should really have some exciting moments on this circuit. The cornering at Spa could get very tricky with these new cars, so pay attention to track limits this weekend. We've already seen it come into play at other circuits this year. Remember Austria? Everybody was getting one. So this could be interesting and a factor in Sunday's Grand Prix. More importantly, though, I am looking forward to seeing these cars running at Spa the way they've been running this season. Close together, this could be... A this could really allow this circuit to shine. Uh, I've liked the season so far. I've liked the competitiveness of the cars. And this circuit, if you can get some really good racing down the Kimmel Strait, down Blanchemont, you can really create some good, good racing this weekend. So look for track limits based on the new cars and how they're cornering. Look for the circuit to shine with these new cars as well. The fourth thing, and we just kind of touched on it earlier, Mercedes. Mercedes and their new life, because they are coming. Don't look now. The Silver Arrows are really putting some stuff together. I said this earlier. Ferrari is getting a big push from Mercedes for P2 and the Constructors, and they are only 30 points behind the Scuderia right now with nine races remaining. Lewis Hamilton has been on the podium in the last five races, finishing second in the last two. George Russell had a pole position in Hungary. He's been on the podium in his last two races and Russell has been in the top five finishing in the top five in all but one race this season there were struggles this season for Mercedes no question about it it was starting to look like just a two-team race for the top but Mercedes is now making a two-team race for second Red Bull is pulling away from this we all know that but I think that Hamilton and Russell have really got things going that now the real battle this season is going to be Ferrari Mercedes for P2 in both categories and I still think that Lewis Hamilton or George Russell are going to win a race this year. I've been saying that for a while now. I still have nine races for this to come to fruition, but I do think Mercedes, I don't know which driver I'm leaning towards Russell. If you were to really push me, I think one of these drivers is going to win a Grand Prix this season. Although Hamilton has been very good over the last couple of races. And the fifth thing to watch out for, now this has got interesting with the new news coming out on Wednesday that Daniel Ricciardo is indeed leaving McLaren. It's the Alpine-McLaren battle because it's going to get really, really interesting now. The two teams are battling for fourth in the Constructors' Championship. Alpine with 99 points. McLaren is 95. And unfortunately, most of those 95 points have come because Lando Norris is finishing in the top 10. Daniel Ricciardo has contributed only 19 points in this battle 
battle for fourth in the constructors. But it's getting interesting now. Fernando Alonso, one foot out the door next season. He's going to be with Aston Martin. Ricardo, we now know, will no longer be with McLaren for 2023. Then that story, I'll be honest with you, that story is as old as time in sports, right? Remember the whole Oscar Piastri deal, right? He was supposed to take Alonzo's seat at Alpine. He said he was, that was not true. Um, he's going to take over Ricardo's seat in McLaren. Alpine says, wait a minute, hold on. We have a contract. Ricardo wanted a lot of money for McLaren to get out of his contract. Alpine is going to sue Oscar Piastri for the money that they put into his growth of his career. I mean, all of that was kind of going down during the break. And this will be the first weekend with, with, we, with knowing that Daniel Ricardo is going going to be out of the McLaren ride. Let the speculation start. What exactly a, a part of this Oscar Piastri story is true? How much of this is going to be dealt with in the courts dealing with contracts? Contracts in sports, like I said, it's as old as a tale of time. You could just interchange some of the people. You can find similar stories in a lot of sports about, we had a contract. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. All of that stuff, especially when it comes to drivers and athletes as free agents, if you will. But in this case, McLaren's looking to make a change. Daniel Ricardo is going to be out. He had one year left on his deal and now he's gone. But this is the weekend with this kind of stuff is going to start getting a lot more attention because Ricardo is going to get asked about it when they meet the media. And this m battle for fourth in the constructors championship is, is not going away. Both of these teams, despite the fact that two guys, uh, they each have one is not going to be racing for them again next season. One knows where he's going to be. The other doesn't yet but that doesn't mean that the teams are giving up on the P4 championship fight. This is still going to be going down to the wire, at least we think, based on what we've got so far. Alpine, a four-point lead over McLaren for P4 in the Constructors' Championship. By the way, that's one of the reasons I like Formula One so much is I love these other battles outside of the top. We don't do this a lot in other sports. In other sports, it's championship or bust. But in this sport, yeah, the World Championship is what everybody's pursuing, but teams and drivers know that that's not realistic based on the economics of, of what they're driving and the team, but they can still go for things that are reasonable within their grasp. Alpine and McLaren are not going to be battling for a world championship. Neither driver is going to be, and the team isn't going to be going for the constructor's title, but P4 is a lot of money and they're both battling for that. And you can start seeing these smaller battles that are less than the big ones that go on in formula one. It's one of the reasons I do really love it. I, I've tried to push that with all my friends in America who don't really understand why a driver gets excited with a seventh place finish. And I'm like, a, because he probably had a car that wasn't going to be finishing in the top 10 and points are points. And if you're on one of these smaller teams, it is a big, big deal if you can get them. So once I start explaining it that way, they, they do start to get it. All right. So those are the top five things I'm watching for this weekend. Again, some of these are really interesting based on the driver movement. Other has to do with weather. We've got Mercedes and Ferrari both coming into the second half of the season with, with, kind of an identity that either they're trying to enhance or trying to shed. There's a lot, a lot to stuff to get started with for the final nine races of the year. But let's talk about where this sport is going in terms of this weekend. And that is spa. As I said earlier, it is one of my favorite, if not my favorite track. It is a favorite of many drivers past and present. A lot of champions win at spa in their career. It's a long circuit, great corners, elevation changes. Pulhan is one of the best corners on the calendar around the world. The run-up from Mont Rouge to Radion has been a real concern for drivers, though. It's just not safe. 
many from all sorts of series have started to ask for that sort of run to change. Jack Aiken, Daniel Ricardo, Carlos Sainz, Toto Wolf, they've all called for changes as the En Rouge Radion climb to the blind summit at the top of the hill. After the cars come off the grid, just to give you a description, if you're not familiar, if you're new to Formula One, the cars are going to come off the grid. There's going to be a hairpin right-hand turn. That's a little source. Once they go through that, it is flat up. They will hit the, hit the accelerator. They will be moving Moving quickly to get up that hill. It's, there's a left, right, left movement that gets you to the Kimmel straight, and it is a blind ride to that top of the hill. It is extremely tricky. If you miss it, you're going to go flying. Your back end is going to get out of control. It could lead you to some trouble. If you get off the track, you could bounce onto the track. And remember, when you do that, you're also going to be getting the full run of the cars that are flying over that over that crest. So it, it's extremely dangerous. Last year, if you remember last year in qualifying, Lando Norris lost control of his car in the ring. Luckily for him, no one was really coming up behind him that much. They didn't have a lot of cars. This could have really, he could have really been hurt. Sebastian Vettel stopped to make sure he was okay. He did go to the hospital, but he did get behind the wheel of the car for the race that wasn't. But nevertheless, he could have got really hurt. But once they get to the Kimmel straight, once they do get over that hill, it is a long stretch. Cars are going to be at top speed. That's a great spot for overtaking. They hit turns seven, eight, and nine, the Lacombs, before they come down to Brussels. It's a tight right-hander. Turn 12 is the famous Puhan. It's one of the best corners in the world. Big, big sweeping left-hander. You can really get some strong speed on that exit. You got a few more corners, and then you kind of go on this high-speed stretch of Blanchemont before the chicane, and that takes you right back to the start-finish line. It is an absolutely beautiful circuit, wonderful corners, wonderful elevation. It is tops in my books. This will be 44 laps around the circuit. Pirelli bringing the mid-range tires, C2 for the hard, C3 for the mediums, C4 for the softs. The grip around the track should be better. There's been some new asphalt that has been laid down. They've removed some bumps. Gravel tracks were added about a couple of years ago. Turns uh, Four of the turns now have gravel traps. But of course, as we talked about this in the top five things to watch for this weekend, weather could be a factor. So don't be surprised at some point, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, whether it's practice, qualifying, or race, Pirelli is in, and the teams are going to be breaking out those intermediate or wet tires. Weather's always in the forecast in the autumn at, at Spa, and I expect it to be there some point. I don't know if, if in the race, they say that weather, uh, the, the rain is, is in the forecast for Sunday, but it's like, if you've ever lived in places where in the autumn around this time you get wet weather, it's like weather's, you know, is changing and rain is always in the forecast. That's the case at Spa Francochamps. Uh, you, you just really never know where, when weather is going to change and, and rain is going to come in. All right, so that's a really a look at the Belgian Grand Prix, but let's get to the top five and bottom five from the Hungarian Grand Prix. I know it felt like a million years ago, but we ended the season in late July at Hungary, the first half of the season, I should say, before we kick off these next nine. So let's go back to that race about a month ago and give you the top five and bottom five from the Hungarian Grand Prix. 
We're going to start with the bottom five. Uh, number five on my list is Kevin Magnuson. He did receive an upgrade prior to the race. Uh, the results, though, however, never materialized for him. He finished 16th. It was pretty disappointing given that the teams were hoping, you know, for a better result given the upgrade. Mick Schumacher's car didn't get the upgrade. He finished higher. He had a P14 finish. Number four, Yuki Sonoda. Difficult day of grip for Sonoda at Hungary. He suffered for it. He finished 19th, spun on some soft tires. Pierre Gasly didn't have a good race either, but he started from the pit lane after taking some new engine components. Uh, it's really been a tough run for AlphaTauri. They have not had any points in the last five races. Uh, number three in my bottom five, and we'll talk about him a little bit more, and that's Daniel Ricciardo. Because you know I've been saying this, it still stands. He does not deliver what McLaren needs. Now, I've been hard on Daniel Ricciardo. This is kind of not the podcast to do it, given the news that he's going to be leaving anyway. So I, I don't really want to pile on. I don't want to sound like I'm piling on. I'm not kicking Daniel Ricciardo while he's down. That's not, that's not. I'm not going to do that to him anyway. I really like him as a driver. I think he's a breath of fresh air for the sport. And here's the thing. I've been a longtime fan of Formula One, and I, I know many of you may disagree with this because we, a, a lot of us that have followed this sport a long time, we're not really keen on the, the newbies that have come in because of Drive to Survive and they don't quite get it. But I will say there's one aspect of this that I like, and that is Daniel Ricciardo has has been a fan favorite for new fans of the sport. And I think that's important. He's got the personality that's attractive. So if you're a sport like Formula One and you get involved in this production and you get involved in this next flick series and you know that there's going to be a wave of new people that are going to come to the sport, it helps to have a guy with the personality of Daniel Ricciardo. It helps the sport. He's kind of, he's an, he's, he's an attractive personality. So for that reason, and again, as a guy who benefits from the, the audience, as it grows, I want to get people listening to the podcast as an American broadcaster. I like being one of the few American broadcasters consistently talking about formula one on my platform, whether it's my radio show that I have, or this podcast, Daniel Ricardo is important to that. Right, because Max Verstappen's a great driver. Lewis Hamilton's a great driver, of course. They're world champions. Sebastian Vettel's a world champion. But Daniel Ricciardo goes beyond just that. He goes beyond just a good driver. He's got this warm personality, this funny personality that's attractive enough. So I'm not going to kick him when he's down. However, he's number three in my bottom five for hungry. Let's get to the details why. I love this guy, but but again. He's struggling with this car. He's been struggling with this car all season long. He should have gotten better points than a P15. He should have gotten some points out of this deal. A P15 finish was awful. He had a P9 start. He should have gotten points out of that. Now, there was an awesome move in this Grand Prix at the Hungara Ring. He got through the two Alpines. Remember that? That was great. Uh, but it was just a struggle for grip. He's gone nine races without a point. Daniel Ricciardo, three in my bottom five for the Hungarian Grand Prix. Number two, Valtteri Bottas. I put him out here because... All right, here's why. He had to retire the car after starting P8 on the grid. Now, that's not really his fault, but the team had an aggressive strategy for a one-stopper in this race, and he didn't get off to a very good start. They went with the hard tires. That didn't really work for anybody. And then with a few laps remaining, he had to retire, had technical problems. It ended up being a long day. But here's the other reason, and this is, goes beyond just this race. He's only scored points in one of the last six races for Alfa Romeo. I'm not punishing Valtteri Bottas by any means, 
technical problems are not his deal and strategy isn't his deal. But, you know, in the end, he's the face of the car. So number two on my list is Valtteri Bottas. But number one by a bullet is Ferrari. No good, rotten, miserable, terrible day for the Scuderia. A real complete mess. Wrong strategy doomed Charles Leclerc, and it didn't have to be this way. That's why I get so frustrated with this team, and I've been a Ferrari fan for a long time. They had both drivers in the top three to start this Grand Prix, and they were right behind George Russell, and they had a better car than George Russell. They were able to get past him. They started the race on the mediums, went with the mediums again, and then here's the thing with Leclerc. Because you have to go with different tires. You can't just use the same tires over and over again. You have to have two different compounds when you run a Grand Prix. When he came in for that second stop, the softs weren't going to get him to the finish line. And so they had to go with the crappy hard tires. And so that's one of the reasons why the strategist failed this, the, 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 you know, these drivers. Because, especially Leclerc. Because Hannah Schmitz knew it when she put the softs on both Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen for Red Bull. And Ferrari couldn't figure this out. You can't go medium, medium, soft without having to go medium, medium, soft, soft. So when they went medium, medium, boom, they only had one choice. And that was the hard tires if they were going to get to the finish line and going to not have to stop again for a third stop. They ended up with a third stop for Leclerc because it was all lost by that point. They weren't going to win the race. For Stappen, he started on softs. He was able to do the then go to the medium-medium strategy, then won them the Grand Prix. So Ferrari goofed up again. Leclerc has to pay the price for this. Ferrari number one and the bottom five of the Hungarian Grand Prix. By the way, they had slow pit stops for Carlos Sainz, too. That cost him. So Ferrari, bottom of the Hungarian Grand Prix. Now let's get to the top because that's a lot more fun. Uh, number five, I'm giving this one to Lando Norris. As I mentioned earlier, it's been a fun battle between Alpine and McLaren for P4 and the constructors. Norris has been the leader of the pack in the Hungarian Grand Prix amongst those four drivers. He finished seventh. That was better than Alonso. Esteban Ocon. He was able to keep McLaren in the points when Daniel Ricciardo couldn't, and he's the main reason McLaren is in this fight with Alpine. I told you earlier, they are four points back, and most of the 95 points that McLaren has gotten comes from this guy right here. Daniel Ricciardo's contributed only 19 this season. Number four, George Russell. Now, he didn't win, and he did start on pole. He couldn't hold off for Stappen, but that was expected. He didn't have the car for Stappen at. He got a solid P3 out of this race. He used those tires to the fullest, and so they started to get away from him after the second pit stop. Nevertheless, solid race for George Russell, who continues to finish in the top five at every race but one this season. And he's been on the podium the last two races. So George Russell, number four. Number three, Sebastian Vettel. A lot of this is emotional. Hear me out. He announced his retirement prior to the Grand Prix and then ended up getting the last point on the board with a P10 finish. If it wasn't for the virtual safety car, he might have caught Esteban Ocon for ninth. Now, with all the accolades and the well wishes that were coming, which were all well-deserved for the four-time champion, this was a nice day for a driver on a very uncompetitive team. So Sebastian Vettel getting that final point for Aston Martin and the fact that everyone was rooting for him and cheering him on because, again, he announced his retirement, that he was going to finish out the 2022 season and be done. Sebastian Vettel, congratulations. You are three in the top five from the Hungarian Grand Prix. Number two, Lewis Hamilton. Now, I thought about this, but I changed my mind. I actually, when I first wrote this out, had Mercedes as a group, kind of like what I did with Ferrari down at the bottom. By the way, if you're not familiar with top five, bottom five, and this is the first time, 
We can do top five, bottom five on anything. It's not just drivers, although it is mostly drivers. I can put a team principal on there. I've done that before. I put Michael Massey in there last year. I can do the race itself, the 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 promoters of the Grand Prix. I have done scheduling. I have done, I mean, everybody that's associated with Formula One, if they've had any impact on the race and whatever made headlines, whether they were good headlines or bad headlines, can get in the top five, bottom five. But mostly it's drivers, but sometimes I'll group the teams together. I almost did this here with Mercedes because Russell and Hamilton, they finished two three with Hamilton getting the second place finish, but I'm putting Hamilton here by himself because he, he's been on the move lately. This is another podium. It's a P2 in Hungary. Prior to that, it was a P2 in France. Look, I, say what you want about Hamilton. I know many of you are fans of his and many of you are not, but let's be honest here. It's better and more fun when Hamilton is winning and not winning, but being competitive. It's more fun for the sport. All right, we still we say this a lot in 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 college football, right? We'll say, "Oh, you know, it's it's much better when Texas is good." Right? You don't have to root for Texas, you don't have to like Texas, but when Texas is making its presence known in college football, this is better for the sport. It's better for the NFL when the Dallas Cowboys are good. You can hate the Cowboys like I do, or you can root for them, but it's better the sport's better when certain aspects or teams or people are playing at are at their highest level. Hamilton was virtually a non-factor at the beginning of the season. The car wasn't good. They were working on some things. He wasn't running well. Russell was getting kind of all the accolades because he was finishing in the top five all the time, but Hamilton is coming on strong. It's going to be more fun. It's not a champ. It's not a championship fight like last year, but it, it it's just more fun when Lewis Hamilton is being competitive. And number one, of course, you got to give it to the man, Max Verstappen. I mean, there is nothing else to say about this. I mean, but I got a lot. It was just a dominating performance. He started 10th, had problems in Q3 on Saturday, ended up winning by nearly eight seconds on Sunday. He diced through the field. No one had the pace to give him a fight. And by the way, as I mentioned earlier, hats off to Red Bull's Hannah Schmitz, strategizing a fantastic race. Started on the soft tires. That allowed Max to change to the mediums, and that allowed another stop for the same tire. It it was not only the best race of this season for Max, you could argue it was the best of his career given the circumstances. A P10 to 1 and an 8-second dominating finish. It, it was one of the best races Red Bull and Max Verstappen have run, and that's why he's won from the Hungarian Grand Prix. All right, so let's continue now with a segment we're going to kind of discuss the big news of this offseason, and that has been, and it's all bundled together, the driver pairings for 2023, what is going on with the current driver market. As I record this today on Wednesday, August 24th, the news came out not that long ago that Daniel Ricardo indeed is out of that seat at McLaren. But that was something we kind of heard talk about uh, for a number of weeks leading up to the official announcement from McLaren that Daniel Ricardo is indeed going to be out. So let's take a look at the 2023 driver pairings and just kind of give an idea as to where we stand with all this. Red Bull is going to have Max Verstappen, and they recently signed Sergio Perez. So both of them are going to be back for 2023. So no changes there. Mercedes, unless we get a surprise retirement announcement from Lewis Hamilton, which, by the way, is always on the table, um, it's going to be him and George Russell next season. So no anticipated changes for Mercedes. Same thing with Ferrari. Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, solid to be drivers for the Scuderia next year. Alpine. Now we're getting interesting, right? 
Fernando Alonso is gone. He's going to Aston Martin. Esteban Ocon is staying. He's locked in, signed the deal a year ago. His teammate was supposed to be Oscar Piastri, but he has denied those reports. The young Australian driver saying he's not going to be racing for Alpine. When Alpine announced it, he then denied it. Now, the team is not happy, and you don't blame them. They put some money into him, and they said they'll sue him uh, for it. Now, where does where that goes? I have no idea. But right now, that spot is open. So we'll get to where we kind of are projecting it fitting in just a second. McLaren. Lando Norris is locked in. Daniel Ricciardo is out, as we know today. He's done. Piastri is slated to go there, according to both Piastri and McLaren. Now, McLaren told Ricardo that Piastri was going to be taking over his seat. But remember, Alpine is saying, uh, no, no, not so fast. Hold on. Hold on. You're driving for us. So we'll see how that plays out. That may have to go to the courts, and they may have to look at the contracts. But right now, that seat is open for McLaren. Now, if you're an American Formula One fan, I know Colton Herta testing for McLaren at Portimao had you all excited for an American driver being on the grid. Hold on. There's a couple of other names that are probably ahead of him for that seat. I think Oscar Piastri ends up getting it. I think there's a workaround. I think they work it out somehow financially. Someone's paying somebody. But I think next season, Oscar Piastri is going to be in the McLaren seat. I just I just think that's the way it's going to happen. I think Alpine's going to fight it, but whatever. What will happen to Alpine seat? Now, here's a thought that people have had, and they've had it leading up to this announcement that Ricardo is out at McLaren. Could Ricardo go back to Alpine? Now, remember, he drove for them when they were Renault. So could that be on the table? Could he just go back to his old team? It wasn't a good breakup there. They kind of felt a little betrayed when he went to McLaren. At the time, it seemed like a good move, but could he go back to Alpine? So McLaren, Alpine right now, they're they're the real story of the 2023 driver pairings. And it really does matter where Oscar Piastri ends up. If he drives for Alpine, will he be doing it reluctantly? If he drives to McLaren, what kind of payout will that be? And will Ricardo just simply go there? Or will Alpine go in another direction? Now let's look at Aston Martin. They're locked in. Fernando Alonso is going to be going there. Lance Stroll has another world champion teammate in Fernando Alonso. They're all set. Haas, Kevin Magnussen, who came into the team when they got rid of uh, Nikita Mazepin, He's signed through next season. Mick Schumacher, however, could be on the move. There's a report that the team has made contact with Daniel Ricciardo for next season. I don't think Ricciardo is going there, but it's just worth mentioning. Williams. Alex Albon is signed. Nicholas Latifi, our favorite, right? He does appear to be out. Watch out later this season in Austin, especially you American F1 fans, because American driver Logan Sargent is going to get an FP1 run on Friday at Coda. This could be the guy that Williams puts in the Canadian seat, but, 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 but don't count on Nick DeVries is likely to take over that McLaren, that Williams ride. We'll see, but watch out in Austin. If Logan Sargent gets a good, good test, um, in good, in a good practice run on Friday in Austin, that, that, that could raise a lot of speculation. Believe me, trust me on this. I, I don't have any anybody to verify this. I'm sure if I talk to some real, real insiders, they'll tell you. I think somebody in Formula One in the main office at Liberty Media wants an American on the grid. There have been Americans on the Formula One grid in the past, but there's like a perfect storm right now of American interests, three races next season, drive to survive, celebrities in America following Formula One. It's like there's this bubble 
that's occurring right now. If you've ever seen the movie The Perfect Storm, remember there was like this cold front from Canada, this warm hurricane, there was another storm, and they all collided to uh, sink the Andrea Gale, the fishing boat out of Gloucester, Massachusetts. There's a perfect storm of Netflix, American interest, American races, all kind of percolating American driver in the middle of that. So I know Formula One would love to get an American on the grid. I don't think they're pressuring teams to do so. I don't think they're pressuring teams to elevate or speed or expedite somebody's experience into that ride. But watch in late October for Logan Sargent's run in FP1 at Austin and the media speculating where he could end up. He's in the Williams Driver Academy. He possibly could get that seat. I think Nick DeVries is going to get it, but watch out for Logan Sargent. How about Alfa Romeo? Valtteri Botas locked in. The team, though, could move on from Zhou Guan Yu. Here's my betting guess. Just no, you know, nothing more than just a betting guess. I think Zhou Guan Yu ends up in that ride. There's no reason. I don't think there's any reason for Alfa Romeo to pass on Zhou Guan Yu. I don't think he's done anything wrong this season. I don't think he's been a disappointment. He's actually had some pretty good results. He is a rookie learning the ropes. The Chinese market is still big for Formula One, and I think they love having a Chinese driver on the grid. I think that's one of the main reasons he was given a spot on the grid, and they want to see that play out and, and play, play a little bit longer game than just one and done. Uh, Alpha Tari. I think this is a little interesting. Pierre Gasly definitely coming back in 2023. However, again, just a betting guy here. I'd be really surprised if Yuki Tsunoda is on the team next season. Could happen, but but I I would be really really surprised. So again, let's. The, there are a few teams that are locked in. But Alpine and McLaren, that could be really, really interesting to watch. It, it could be boring, too. It could all be simple. Yep, you go there. You, you go, you know, Ricardo comes here and we're done. But if people are serious about some of the threats that have been made, taking to court and all of that, we could have a really interesting story about that. Interesting where the Williams seat is going to go if indeed they part ways with Nicholas Latifi. Um, but other than that, Let's see where Mick Schumacher is headed. Let's see where Zhou Guan Yu could be going. Yuki Tsunoda could be going. Who's on the rise to come up? Will there be American driver on the grid in 2023? Could, could it be Colton Herta? All of these things. This offseason, it's what we do in this sport. We talk. It's like any other place. It's like another offseason in baseball, offseason in the NFL. The period between the last race of the first half and the first race of the second half, driver speculation runs rampant. It's one of the only few things we, that the media buzzes about. And there's no, no disappointing story here. If you like that kind of thing, 2022 is your bag for sure. All right. I think uh, in the end, I think Max Verstappen does win this weekend if we do have a dry race when you have a wet race everything could be uh, up in arms and uh, could be a mess but Verstappen is excellent in the wet so if you do get a green flag wet race at Spa I still think Verstappen wins but I'm telling you one of these times I'm going to pick the Mercedes team about either one of those drivers to win a Grand Prix all right that's going to do it for this edition of the Overtake F1 podcast our Belgian Grand Prix preview again enjoy the race this weekend as Formula One is coming back I ask you, implore you, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe. Really helps us. We need, you know, the support as much as ever. A lot of Formula One podcasts are starting to pop up. This is our second season. So if you are liking what you're hearing, I hope you'll help us out a little bit. All right, we'll be back next week for a review of the Belgian Grand Prix. Uh, we want to keep an eye out for that. If you need to reach me for any reason, just 
through Twitter. I'm on Twitter at, at Tony D Radio. You can email the show, Tony D Radio Show at Yahoo.com. I uh, look forward to your questions or your comments on the Formula One season. Also follow us on Facebook, the Overtake F1 Podcast. I'm Tony Deziri. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the race, everybody, this weekend from Spa. And again, this is the Overtake F1 Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>